DMZ episode 27. I'm Ken Rakowski, broadcasting from Los Angeles, California. Actually, next to William again. William Quigley from Opskins. And what is Opskins? Opskins, what is it? It's an eBay-like marketplace for people to buy and sell stuff, except only digital stuff, not physical stuff. So what happens if I've never been on eBay and I have no idea what you're talking about? Then you wouldn't know what I was talking about. No, but seriously, a lot of people have never been on eBay. I have never bought anything ever on eBay. Right. Ever. I've never seen Simpsons either. But you also only bicycle. You've never actually gotten into a car. (laughs) So, uh, Are you making fun of all our New York fans that are listening right now? Because many of them probably haven't gotten into a car in the last year that's that's probably true okay so tell me about what you mean it's a marketplace okay it's a marketplace if people if you've ever been on etsy or no. poshmark no. or tradesy no. all right you haven't been on any of these places all right craigslist craigslist okay maybe all right so it's a marketplace meaning it's a place you can go to buy stuff or to sell stuff the only difference is not things that you can physically touch these are images like pictures we call them digital files or we call them skins and they're 100 percent unique they are every and you know we do need to describe what the word unique means because uh somehow over the last like 30 years people have like forgotten or never learned that unique means one of a kind unique means there's only one and there's not any more most people i hear say the word unique what they mean is oh it's uncommon no unique means there's only one like you like your fingerprint right like your fingerprint right Right. so these are images they may look they may look somewhat similar but they're actually unique each one is distinct all right so hey william we often don't talk about accolades of each other Okay, and I want people to realize that you every week when we do this, you take time out because you're running around the world trying to get people to understand what's going on with the next generation of crypto and blockchain and whatever it is. Your background. The other reason your background is a serial entrepreneur. But you really a venture capitalist. You worked at Disney for a while. You invest in some of the biggest companies like PayPal. You are a, um, would you consider yourself a visionary or are you more of a realist to where the opportunities are going? Well, if, if you said visionary defined as someone who looks at how a business or an industry exists today and then says, I wonder what this new technology would do to that industry in two or three years, Yeah, you could call visionary then. Visionary has all of these negative things like pompousness and people. Well, I do. If somebody told me I'm a visionary, I'd be like, come on, dude. But you don't like hearing that. Oh, I, 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 because it's such a like a, it's like a word that you should never use to describe yourself. It's like saying I'm really humble. Right. You are not humble. Right. That's true. But also I would never say it. Right. So. So no, I don't know but, anybody that would say that about you. But it's worth that's probably true. But 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 it's worth saying this, Ken, since uh uh I've probably seen what ten thousand business plans and many, many, many thousands of pitches from entrepreneurs. Uh anyone who's listening to this podcast who's thinking of starting a business or think go maybe to you. Maybe talk to you. Please, well, I'm a little busy, but if you're going to be pitching somebody, I will tell you the stuff that may would make me go, you know, I was about to go to the bathroom, but I gotta stick around for this. And you know what that would be? When somebody would come into my office, sit down and say, Hey, I'm working in the whatever, the apparel industry. I've got a new product I want you to invest in, yada yada yada. So let me tell you something you don't know about how our industry works. Then I would be like, okay, tell me more. And then let me tell you how we make money that people aren't aware of. It looks like we make money this way. We actually make money that way. And there's a new technology that's coming around and this is what it's going to do to our business. And this is why I want to introduce X, Y, or Z. When you forecast for me what it is that you see the industry transforming into, that's real insight, that's vision, that excites me. You're kind of sick of the Me Too stuff, right? Yeah, we're just like them, but. Yeah, it's a lazy way of describing your business. It's, yeah, we're the, 
We're the Amazon of. It's like, don't be lazy. Tell me what you are without that comparison. So the other issue we had in the late 90s, early 2000s, were too many companies that were features not real companies. Yeah, now I was just I was just like five years old then, of course. You <laughs> yeah, know. you were. But, but this is a problem, and that is if Microsoft likes what that other company startup is doing, they'll just put 5,000 people on it and just do yeah. it themselves. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's too long of a discussion for us to hit in this podcast. But yes, that's why you must always be thinking about not just a feature, the service or product you're literally providing, but the business model you're using in order to get paid. A whole bunch of stuff could be said about that. For the audience, I would just say, just think about your business model because it's very easy to write a line of code and offer the same product or feature that that you do. But if you have a business model that's unique to you or a business model maybe isn't unique, but that makes it so competitors can't so easily copy you, that allows you to be sustainable and competitive over a long time. Or if you own IP, real patented IP. Yeah, and by IP you mean if you have ideas or or uh, a technology that you've put a patent around, it, it, yeah, that's a defense. It's not. It's not. It's not a, a defense that will hold up all the time. People can figure out ways to do what you do in a unique way, so they don't violate your patent. But it's a good way to put what I would call friction into the process to slow people down from copying you. Or what they do then is they buy you, and maybe because yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. Theory, how much? How much would I have to pay to buy you, Ken? Well, not much. How many racks right. do you have on you? Yeah. Yeah. If you. <laughs> And let me continue with this because we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show, the ones that are in the blockchain space and the crypto space. And I hear this. We are the Spotify with blockchain incorporated into it. I go, well, then why can't Spotify just do it? Oh, there you but go. this is an issue, right? Everyone yeah. thinks that you just add blockchain or crypto to it. You're a brand new business. Yeah. And part of this, to be fair. Uh, sometimes it's very hard to get the attention of either a customer or an investor. And as an entrepreneur, you're like, how can I hook them fast? And so you give them a mental picture that's really easy for them to grasp. And then maybe they like it. So I get the impulse to want to do it, to describe yourself as a variant of some well-known company, but it would and you can do that, but but it would be really helpful to also be able to just describe what it is you do without any of those sort of crutches that you want to reach for. It makes sense. So are you seeing unique ideas that you've never seen before when you're a venture capitalist with this new technology around blockchain, AI, and crypto? Are you seeing brand new, brand new stuff or is it kind of recycled? I would say... It's the it. There's more brand new stuff than what I see in the traditional venture capital world, the traditional technology world. But the majority of what I see is still we're gonna do whatever we were doing without a blockchain. We're gonna do it on a blockchain without any explanation as to why you've made the service better for the customer or the product better for the customer because it's on a blockchain. And this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Your product or service does not become better by the magic of being on a blockchain. The blockchain, as you've heard me say in the past, the blockchain is the worst possible way to do just about anything, with a few exceptions. It is really, really bad way to do things because it's decentralized and it takes longer and it costs a lot of money to pay these miners. So it's a really simple rule. If you are putting your thing on the blockchain because of all the penalties you will pay for it being on the blockchain, it better have some demonstrable better aspect because it's on the blockchain because it's going to suffer with the blockchain. And we will talk about that a little later. So this is episode 27. You could hear us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and of course, iTunes. Uh, we're everywhere. We are I, I think we're decentralized. We're everywhere now. Everywhere. Isn't everywhere. that the low? Isn't that the like the slogan of the CIA? We are everywhere. 
When we come back, the things we're going to talk about, I'm going to read the headlines today. I'm going to let you have a little time off to yourself, William. We'll understand why the SEC, it matters. We'll go beyond what's happening in the crypto space. The myths around the crypto market manipulation. We'll look at NVIDIA and how they're saying maybe the crypto boom is over. What's going on with Turkey and the Lira and Bitcoin? Hackers go after an actual friend of ours around his telephone, and we have the market cap game today. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski, episode 27 of Coin DMZ. That's what episode we're on. We've been doing this a long time. He's got gray hair because of it, and he's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. Hello, H-E-L-L-O, at coindmz.com. And uh, we're based in Los Angeles. Are we one of those crypto capitals? Uh, You know what? The way blockchain technology works, there are multiple crypto capitals. It's the most diverse uh, industry I've ever seen. There's stuff in Argentina, there's stuff in Everywhere. Toronto, there's stuff in Tel Aviv, and there's, and there's stuff going on in L.A. I would say that China actually is the capital. You're joking. No, I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, tell me why. I think there is more blockchain companies popping up in China, uh, Beijing, Hong Kong, Shanghai, than any other concentrated place, and we're just not seeing them yet because they're they're connected with the government, and they are. I'm I'm just trying to tell you. I see. Isn't it a bit of an oxymoron though? A blockchain connected to, to a the government. government. It is you know? kind of funny, especially China, right? Yeah. It, it makes no sense, but they're planning. Here, another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, quantum computing. Oh yeah. Okay. So China. Our friends in China, again, you and I don't care what country, we would love all of them equally, kind of. China is recording everything they can on the internet. They're literally recording everything. And they're just letting it sit there because this quantum computer race is going on. And whoever gets it, basically you decipher everything that's out there. It's, it's such a crazy, imponderable thing that... If quantum computing, I shouldn't say if at this point, right? When quantum computing is possible, we will no longer have any security around the traditional alphanumeric password regime. Right. So we're going to have to go to something else because the computers, for your audience, those of you who aren't like into this stuff deeply, and I am by no means in it deeply, but I do pay attention to it. Quantum computing will allow all of the traditional cryptographic encryption that we do uh long alphanumeric passwords right all that stuff to be cracked instantly so ken since you brought it up and given that we all know it's going to happen what is the state of the art thinking about how to counter quantum computing so i go back to china about bitcoin or not bitcoin but a blockchain i think china is going to win the quantum race they're going to have do. the first quantum computer. Absolutely. With, with an operating system, because you have to have both. Yeah. You can't just have that D-Wave system that Google's been working on, which kind of works. You have to have a quantum system that has a true operating system that understands what's going on. Should people who have crypto wallets be scared? Yeah. Well, when it happens, it does. But this is why I think... But it's, it's if you're right, it's not like a company's going to say, it's oh, done. we just cracked all it's encryption. Still, all encryption's gone. But what happens is, if you're in China and you're affiliated with the Chinese government, and if they have quantum technology, you have a safe haven. This is my thought. So I think even though, hey, copyright in China is copy, right? (laughs) This is gonna become an oasis, and they're going to become the next forefront of protecting the next generation of digital companies. Just saying. All right. And so we did, we haven't yet seen quantum computing in the way we imagine it might be, which is scary. And you're pretty sure it's not a Y2K type thing. 
<laughs> I remember that. You know, I actually went to Hawaii on December 30th. Were you in the air when the- In 1990, no, because I wanted to be where if the power went out, I could survive properly. I'm not But kidding. you would be stuck and on an island. I went to Kauai where it was almost like power doesn't matter. And of course it was all BS. Y2K for everybody who's listening who doesn't remember. It was this belief that all these computer systems around the world, when the clock struck midnight on the year 2000, they wouldn't work right because apparently years ago, uh, when software developers were programming these computer in programs in COBOL, they, they, they didn't put in the year 2000, right? So that it would just go, your clock would be set back to like 1901 or something. Yep. It was legacy software, primarily in the finance institution and grid legacy systems. Nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. It was such an overhype, but let's go to quantum. I don't think it's a hype. I don't think it's actually talked about. I think it's only discussed at the highest level. Okay. And I would recommend if you get a chance is go watch um, Vice, I got to figure out what episode it is, but they, a recent episode, they dove deep into quantum, but it gets even deeper into that. I mean, okay. this is not yeah. our show. That's not, we're going to go into. As an investor, I don't want to miss out on this whole quantum thing. I don't want to, what? I don't want to pull a. A Terran. A Terran. You don't want to pull a Terran. That's right. This is our new term. Uh, that we want everyone to well, you use. You miss something big. You miss something big. And by the way, I know you're at Microsoft today. You were spending time with them. They have probably one of the best quantum simulators that's out there right now because Microsoft knows they have to make the next operating system. It's got to run on something. That computer doesn't exist yet, but they're making a simulator so it does work. Hey, I want to ask a question. Let's get to our focus, and that's around blockchain and crypto and all that. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Commission. Are they kind of like the beacon for the world when it comes to how ICOs and companies should manage themselves as they move forward? Meaning, if the SEC comes down with a certain regulation or construct, is that recognized globally saying, oh, hey, they decided it, we should do it? In Here's like what I would say about in the U.S. We have uh, anyone on the stock market. If you're a company that wants to go public, you have to register with something called the Securities and Exchange Commission. Every major country around the world has these financial regulators when it comes to trading stocks and what on bonds. Well, of course, the SEC was formed in 1933, a long time ago. No one was thinking about blockchain back then. So like a lot of regulators, they're wondering, well, who should be regulating this crypto stuff, this blockchain stuff? So the SEC is one of the contenders. I think there's actually 17 federal agencies in the United States who are vying to be the principal uh, 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 arbiter of what is done in blockchain and crypto. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. But you ask, hey, should the SEC or do a lot of people around the world follow what the SEC says? You know what's crazy? Up until crypto and blockchain stuff, I think the answer was pretty much yes. The United States had developed the most sophisticated way to monitor how companies are doing, the uh, generally accepted accounting principles, those were really built around the U.S. capitalistic system, right? Uh, the, the concept of a certified public accountant who audits the balance sheet and the financial statements and makes sure that the numbers that the company says they did are authentic. All of this is something the SEC had done a great, great job of. A few bad things like Bertie Madoff they missed, but by and large, they did pretty good. And much of the world has followed what the SEC does. There's something called a prospectus when you go public. A lot of the world said, that's a good idea. You have to list all the reasons why this thing could be risky. When it comes to blockchain and crypto, they were late to the game. Yes. The US, the SEC was. But also they have, uh, I think they came at it with a really strong bias against it as a money raising uh, concept as a way for companies to do stuff. And, and I think that's kind of clouded their vision. I will give a call out though to um, By the uh, way, Brock a woman. Pe Brock Pierce is calling me right now. He's probably. Oh, he probably wants to know what the next part of the show. He wants to be on the show right now. What the now. next hot coin is. Um, uh, uh, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, a recent appointee to the U S the U S uh, SEC, uh, last name is Pierce of all funny things, but I don't think she's the sister of Brock. And, uh, she is very much in favor of letting 
the blockchain and cryptocurrency phenomenon develop and not smothering it with too much regulation too soon. So it's kind of like what Clinton and Bush did, and even Obama in most respects, allowing the internet to develop itself before they started to go in there and say, we have to tax, we have to do these things. Well, yeah, up until Obama embraced net neutrality, which was a way to drop an atomic bomb on how the internet worked. But yeah, up until that, it was very much hands-off, light touch. We don't have that net neutrality issue anymore. Uh, thank you very much for that insight, William. I want to throw out a couple of words, and I want you to explain them and tell us why we should or we shouldn't be excited about them, okay? The first word is, and we bring it up all the time, decentralized. And decentralized means, hey, it's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Yes. Do you agree with me on that? Like my attention. Um, uh, let me give you a different definition, Please. all right? Okay, everything in the world up until now has been centralized. Capitalism, human beings, love and embraced centralized. Centralized means there's one throat to choke, all right? Kind of like the Catholic Church. Centralization, It's Rome is the central All peak. companies, yes, that's okay. true. All companies we work with, right? Centralized. There's one company, they say we do it. They don't say, hey, it's not us. So when there's one group that's doing it all, governments can be like this. We call it, they, they're centralized. What's decentralized? By the way, I didn't even know the word, I ever thought of the word decentralized until crypto and blockchain came around. So the concept of decentralized is in the blockchain, in the blockchain, um, definition is instead of one company processing all the transactions, you get a bunch of different people. And what's clever about it is none of them working together, none of them really even knowing who the others are, but they're all set about with one task to authenticate the transaction. And collectively, they as a group say, okay, this transaction we've all decided is real and then it becomes confirmed and once it's confirmed it gets written to the blockchain and everybody says great it's permanently there so what was so magical about what satoshi the inventor of the blockchain did was he said how do i get all these people to work independently and work for in their own self-interest right they're all working in their own limited self-interest because they want to get the crypto coins they want to get the blockchain reward and if they solve this this math problem uh, first, they get the blockchain rewards. They get the crypto so rewards. there's still a selfish motivation behind it. That's the reason it works because people work in their own self-interest and yet collectively they all do something that's very, very powerful, which is to confirm that this transaction was good. Okay, decentralized. Let's go to the next one. Security. When you think about the blockchain, is it secure? Okay, so this is one of those weird contradictions. I used to say to everybody, there's nothing more secure on planet Earth than the blockchain. The sun will burn out before you will crack the SHA-256 algorithm and be able to steal my crypto coins. And it turns out that's true and irrelevant at the same time. How is it irrelevant? Well, let's just say you have a bunch of your coins stored on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? which means no one can ever, ever, ever crack it. Unless you gave them your password, what we call the private key, right? That 30- Or if it's hacked. Digi no, 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 no. Well, if it's hacked, uh, socially hacked. Yes. There's a difference. So you would have to guess, when we say the sun will burn out before you can crack the code, there's, I think it's 30 or 33 alphanumeric code. And to randomly come upon that that string of digits in in the order in which would be your code would would take about two billion years with a supercomputer. So you feel really safe and it's really secure. The problem is though, when you move away from there and you say, but what if I have that really long 30 digit alphanumeric code and I leave it on my desk? Right. What if what if somebody that happened to Nolan you know who I'm talking about? Yes. No, you don't. You have no yes, idea. Did you ever I see do. Ready Player One? That oh, happened Ready to Player Nolan One. Nolan with his little code right, right there. So, so to answer the question, though, briefly, it's simply that it's super secure 
these digits, this long, long password. But the problem is human beings do something with it. Do you know what the best example I always have? What? Is this. Uh, condoms, I believe, are like essentially perfect at stopping unwanted pregnancies. Until you don't put them on. Well, or if you put them on and you break them. So it's like theoretically crypto blockchain super secure, right? But there's things you can do because humans do them, like leave your password around. Somebody gets it. They're insecure. Yeah, but that's not anything I to do know, with the technology. I know, that's human but error. you can say that. But it turns out with blockchain, it's so... The, it, it's not convenient to have these long alphanumerics, so people do stuff like write them down in view of their webcam. So tell me about the word immutable. Immutable. Yeah. Immutable. I-M-M, blah, blah. Okay, so immutable is another, Ken, you're great, another one of those contradictions. Here's what I mean. I used to say the blockchain is immutable. Once you write to the blockchain, it's a database that can never be edited ever, ever, ever. Once it's in there, it's there forever. Blah, 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 blah. Isn't that great? You know what? It seems great. Except when you make a mistake. And Human when you, error again. Yes, but Ken, humans, are, humans do errors. It turns out the worst thing about something being immutable is that it's immutable. So if I send my cryptos to let's say Ken, and I meant to send them to let's say Maya, uh, and Ken says, I'm gonna keep them, I can't go call up PayPal or call up my bank and say, you need to reverse this transaction. It's immutable. So it turns out most things in life are not immutable. And we're not used to dealing with things that are immutable. If you buy something, you don't like it, you return it. If you make a decision, you can reverse it. But when it comes to blockchain, when it's done, it's over. You can never reverse it. And that makes it really scary. Unless there's a smart contract in there. Well, the smart contract could be mutable. You could say, under these three conditions, the uh, transaction can be reversed. Now, by the way, I haven't seen that, but it, w it will probably come because I think most humans like to be able to reverse stuff they need if a they regret it. They need a clause. That's it. William Quigley, by the way, and Ken Rakowski, you can find us over at coindmz.com or hello at coindmz.com, Z's or Z. Z. Yeah, coin and uh, wait, coindmz.com. Doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound Sorry, right. my friends in New Zealand and Australia and the UK, it's Z. Let's talk about if these are myths or not myths. And let's specifically talk first about whales. A whale is a whale is about I mean the the blue ones can be what 200 feet long in with giant the, tails the crypto whales oh oh right I right, love right. when you turn into Marlon <laughs> Perkins on us just now <laughs> wild kingdom go ahead <laughs> only Taryn will get that reference Tar no a only lot of people Taryn's that are enough. our age would get it oh really okay Sunday night we were used oh to that's watch true it. that's true so, so when oh. we talk about whales crypto whales okay yeah what, these mythical whales right okay so everyone has read. Moby Dick, right? Yeah, the great white whale. So whales in the crypto sphere are people who own a lot of Bitcoin. Is there a, a dollar amount or a, a, an amount that says you're a whale? You know, if I say he's a bigwig, is there a dollar amount? It's just kind of what we think, right? So no, there is no dollar amount. It's just, I, I will tell you this though, by my definition, there's about 5,000 crypto whales okay. in the world. Over a million dollars. In crypto? Yeah, you'd need over, over a million. million. Okay. So when I say because of the whales, the crypto markets are unique, is that a myth or is that true? You know, I'd say it's not unique. And I think what you're getting at there is there's something about the fact that so much wealth in this crypto sphere, and, you're, and the audience may not know this, there is a massive concentration of crypto wealth in the hands of about 5,000 whales. And you're saying because of that, it's different from like the stock market, the bond it's market, the housing market. And I got to say, maybe by degree, it's a little more concentrated, but I think all, all asset classes have a few people who own a lot. 
So it's not unique because of that. Whales are to blame for the biggest losses. Absolutely. Are they? They ram ships. They sink them. You're back to the whales. Are those whales the causes of the biggest losses? When the markets tank, yeah. is it because of the whales? Yes. It is. Yes. I think so, yes. So are they reactive? Uh, well, there's two types of whales. We have good whales. You'll see those at SeaWorld and whatnot. Then you've got the bad whales. I don't think there's so, whales at SeaWorld anymore. Oh, anymore. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah, you're right. They all left. Um, so the good whales are the people who just own a lot of cryptocurrency and they like it for the value that it provides store of value easy to transfer the bad whales are the ones who use the fact that they own so much to manipulate, to manipulate things so do whales control the market yes they do okay so not a myth it's that's, true oh no that's absolutely true so whales know more about the market than smaller investors Oh, absolutely. Without a but, doubt. but this wouldn't be a surprise to any of our listeners. Do you think the big, greedy, you know, hedge fund operators on in Wall Street, do you think they know about the stocks than we do? Of I course. I think they have better technology, too. Yeah, they, of course. They have better technology. They trade faster. So do the whales. Okay. So do the crypto whales. And then the last one of these either myths or not myths is regulators will solve this situation regarding whales and make it so it's more evened. Of course. I mean, look how well the regulators have solved the problems of Wall Street. Well, this is sarcasm, right? This is sarcasm. No. Yeah, no. The regulators are not going to solve the problems. They may highlight things that force people to focus on, but regulators are just government bureaucrats who may or may not have insight. Okay. Hey, if this show was sponsored, who should sponsor? What do you think? The Fiji Securities and Exchange Commission. Fiji Water. What do you think? No? Oh. Uh, uh, who would you like as a sponsor of the show? Well, let me, let me just say what heuristic I would give you. I think it would be helpful for companies that are going to, be, that where crypto or blockchain could really be impactful to what they do. I think those companies could do it. Potentially, because you know what I think about things that are decentralized. One of the things that should be is supply chain. And one of the things that supply chain does really good is monitor food supplies. So something like Fiji water, I'd like to know on a blockchain, when was it actually taken out of Fiji? Oh, that's pretty interesting. Right. And don't, you can't lie. Wow. William Fiji water, if you're listening. And then which ship did it go on? Right. And then when it got here, what bottling plant? Or plane. The, yeah. Or, well, I, I, mean, I, I get mine right from the spring the next day. So William's with us. By the way, I also think a, an airline that flies these crypto whales around. Yes. Yes. Who would that be? Emirates? Probably Emirates. Southwest? <laughs> Southwest Airlines. Ryanair. No. What? Ryanair. Ryan? No. Crypto whales wouldn't be flying Ryanair. Do you think Look so? Look at crypto whales... They were porpoises once. They became whales by saving their tokens. Tell me about NVIDIA because it's a crazy stock, man. That NVIDIA stock has just exploded over the last couple right. of years. Right. So semiconductors is such a, a semiconductor. Everybody knows that those, hopefully, those are the chips that go into all the computers. Um, uh, a really, really tough industry Absolutely. to be an investor in. I've made a few bets in that space. It is tough, tough, tough because this stuff... This is not like building an app in the app store. R making a semiconductor is so darn difficult. It's you're, you're you're at the absolute boundary of physics, trying to pack more and more transistors into tiny spaces. So I, my hats off to the to the semiconductor engineers and designers. They, they do magic. And one of the things it turns out that semiconductors are incredibly useful for is image processing because that takes so much computing power, right? So the semiconductors like NVIDIA that allow you to play a video game with really cool graphics, guys, that's powered by some really complex technology. But they figured out how to use those GPUs, those graphic processors. Well, because, yeah, because they're so good at doing things so fast, they became pretty clever ways to go and mine certain types of cryptos. And as a result, the, uh, the sale of certain types of NVIDIA chips became a proxy for the health of the crypto market. And what's happened now was, at one point in time, to get an NVIDIA card was almost impossible. The back right. order was there. And the card is what, Ken? The card is something that had a lot of chips in it, right? Yeah, GPUs. It was able to do multiple processes so you can mine. 
sounds like we could you and I could go on to Amazon and actually order one and get one now. Right. And this might be an indicator that either the market is oversaturated. And what market are we referring the to? The mining market. Well, the, the, the crypto mining. The crypto mining market. And right now, it looks like NVIDIA being smart, saying, hey, we got to find other industries to go after to make sure we sell more and more cards, which probably is the high-end game market. Yeah, the game market, for sure. Good for you, by the way. I love it. <laughs> the better the technology they ship, the more fun we have at video games. With games. But it does say the mining market, specifically for NVIDIA, has stagnated. Yeah, it does. Uh, I don't think it's the end of the world. And I think it was sort of a weird market that it has happened into because people needed great processing power and NVIDIA GPUs did it. We're not going to get into why, let's say, it's not good for all mining, right? You look at my NVIDIA stock. I know you don't it's, play the stock market. It's not market. good for all mining, but it's good for some. And uh, the reality is we are, I'll say this to the listeners, we're shifting from uh, mining-based ways of confirming transactions, what we call proof of work, to proof of stake. And with proof of stake, that's another way to ensure that the transactions are valid. You don't need to be some uber crypto miner. So when I bought NVIDIA, I just got to tell you, because I'm looking at it right now, my, and this is not crypto numbers, okay? So it's not crypto type growth. Right. You didn't do 10,000 times better. Well, let me tell you. Um, over the course of a year, you bought gone, it one year ago. No, that's what I'm going to tell you. Over the course of the year, it's gone up 50%. 50%. Right? That's great. I bought it about five and a half years ago. Wow. And it's done 1,622%. Dang. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. You've done over 10 times. You've yeah. returned more than 10 yeah, times. But, but I knew NVIDIA, AMD. I did a whole spread on chips. And NVIDIA just made sense when it came out. And I like the CEO. I saw him speak. And he just owned me. It right? is one of the great technology companies of our era oh absolutely and it's kind of unsung because it's not a brand facing technology right it's hidden in that smartphone it's hidden in that computer well, it doesn't say nvidia inside now it does by the way you it do does well you know to video gamers they get it it's a big deal yeah. right? your alien where would actually say there's an nvidia card inside there so that's interesting to watch what happens with nvidia we might utilize that as kind of a litmus test of what's going on when it comes to mining specifically for what it mines being bitcoin it's uh, by the way you should spell it out because a lot of people probably won't even know who aren't Oh, NVIDIA. NVIDIA is spelled N-V-I-D-I-A. Yeah. NVIDIA. Um, the Turkish lira took a major hit because of um, tariffs that were slapped on steel by, uh, uh, by, by the, the Trump US. administration. Okay. And uh, the lira dropped by 50% in a matter of two days. By the way, do you know what the exchange rate is between a dollar and a lira? Oh, I can tell you. Yeah. I don't trade curious. the lira that often. I wanted to say here, I'll just pop on. Do you use an exchange tool on your uh, computer? Do you have different currencies that you look at on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, a little. Most of them don't move much, though, so I don't have to look very often. So for one, uh, for one lira... It's 0.16, so it used to be point, uh, so uh, right now it's 0.16. So it's about seven lira to the dollar. Yeah, so it used to be four. Yeah, it's a pretty big hit. <laughs> it's a big hit. And so well, what well, did they let's do? Let's understand something. It's a big hit if you buy stuff outside Turkey. Right, People right. need to understand that. So if you go to the local shawarma and get uh, some lunch, it's still the same possibly, but it could be that that local company got some of its ingredients. Not within two days. Not within two I days. I don't think it would reflect in two days or three days. No, no but, it, but, but it won't take long because that's how economics works. People, Unless it's yeah. all localized. And that's why um, the, the prime minister gets up and he goes, hey, buy Turkish products. Get, don't be utilizing anything if outside. If only it Turkey. were that simple, right? It isn't that simple. Everything in every country is made by people from all over the world. And this is why tariffs are interesting. They're a great leveraging tool if it's done right. And you have to time it out right. So what did uh, Turkey do? They went off and said, hey, we can't utilize the lira internally, especially let's go buy Bitcoin. So they went off and bought a ton of Bitcoin. And it's kind of interesting to see Bitcoin. It was down during that time. And now we saw it go, go up. It's gone up a little. 
it's nice to be in the 6,000s again. But uh, those people may have actually done quite well because they probably bought it at the low six, maybe. I think it dipped within five, right? Like five, yeah, nine? Yeah, 5,900. Yeah, so maybe they've done well because we're at least a lot higher right now. But watch what happened. We saw the same thing in Venezuela with the peso. Yes. They did the same thing. We watch other currencies. When currencies drop, generally when currencies drop, people go into gold. Right. Right? This is the alternative to gold. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin, really, I refer to it as it's, it's the closest we have to digital gold. All right. So we have talked about a lot of our personal friends in this show because they make news. Yeah. Uh, Brock By Pierce, the way, is that one guy out of federal prison? Uh, so just kidding. We, we talked about Brock Pierce. Did you see the it wasn't just a little video, but this whole thing The Guardian did about Brock and his team going to Puerto Rico and about what they're trying to do to rebuild Puerto Rico and how the Puerto Ricans actually are not accepting what um is it block one i'm not sure what they call their group down there have you been i i don't know block one is the company that uh, created eos but what is the group that's down in puerto rico i don't know i don't know what so it's called. they're not all that happy the puerto ricans are not happy and there was one... well but can we be fair and say some puerto ricans are not happy so there was a very interesting um let's call the community gathering and maybe the first mistake, and this is just, you know, you have to learn. You have to learn to communicate with the, the, the local public down there. They didn't have a translator there to talk to the people that did not speak proper English. Ah, I see. Super easy to fix, but it shows there's more of an association assimilation. And what, what was this gathering of crypto people in Puerto Rico? What were they trying to describe or talk about? You're talking about? about what the Brock group which I don't, I gotta find out what the name is, what they're trying to do to help Puerto Rico out. The Puerto Ricans feel they're only there because of tax. You know, and they, I do think that's unfortunate, by the way, because I think there was like some article that came out that people are like, oh, there's you can save money on taxes if you're a U.S. citizen and you and you and you live in Puerto Rico. But I do know that that was not the primary reason they were down in Puerto Rico. It was because uh, the Puerto Rican government earlier was saying a lot of positive things they're still doing it they're about still want crypto. them to come down they should come down yeah and by the way the puerto ricans please don't take this wrong accept them it's 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 a good thing to have them there you know they're going to build infrastructure they're going to change things i do think it would be a great way for puerto rico to get a foothold in a part of the financial services industry that could be very profitable great jobs and you know, it's still such a such a, uh, a kind of a budding technology that there's still a chance to develop a local presence for that technology and bring entrepreneurs to your country. I think it's also patriotic because in theory, Brock and his team could have gone to the Caymans. They gone to other areas where their taxes are very low yeah. and created some type of infrastructure there, which is going to welcome them in a much better way. This is actually, uh, I think, there's a humanistic side. So of the story still needs to be told. We'll see. We're going to talk about another friend of ours, Michael Turpin. Okay. You and I have known Michael for 20 plus years. Yep. Um, his company back then was called Social Radius, yep. which was a massive PR company. Tons of the biggest startups went through Michael. He had multiple offices in the United States. I think he started a company called MarketWire. MarketWire, which he sold. Which he was like well. a PR newswire service. It was. During did, the dot-com bubble. Did really well with that. And then and Michael, he got into crypto. Well, in a lot of ways because of you. Me and Brock. Yeah, yep. he heard you talk and said, you know what, I'm going to go into this. Created some very uh, established crypto conferences. Yep. Um, Bit Angels, I, which was an angel investing uh, uh, company for uh, for early crypto investors. I would say a third of I've all. I've spoken the big, at a lot of his conferences. Third of some of the biggest ICOs has gone through Michael representing him. Yes, and, uh, and, and uh, a public relations front. So yep. a very established individual inside the crypto space, ICO space. Do you agree? I do, and therein lies the risk. Well, one thing I've learned being in the media is I never want to be in the media, meaning I don't want to be a story. You know, this is one thing I despise about watching the news today, and that is when CNN says, oh, we're going to talk about Fox News, or somebody on Fox News says, let's talk about somebody on MSNBC. They shouldn't be the story. Yep. Michael doesn't want to be the story. But Michael's the story for something that happened to him, and it's actually horrible. Yep. Okay. Lawsuit. 
Michael lost, I want to say it's something like $2.5 million in crypto. Oh, oh, no, no. I think it was higher than that. I think well, it was higher than that. Wait, I want to say... It was a $24 million. $24 million. But he's suing for... He's suing AT&T for over $200 million. That's right. $200 million. Got to get the Now, the $200 right. million, he lost $24 million, so he wants that back yes. for their incompetence. And then punitive damages he wants them to pay of $200 million. But let's explain something. Why would AT&T, a phone carrier, be sued by somebody in the crypto space? Right. This is social hacking. Social engineering or social hacking. Right. This is what happened. Explain what happened. What happened sucks. And for anyone listening, you need to really, really take this to heart. It's very easy for people, and it sucks, it's very easy for people to switch your phone to them. It's, it's very easy for people to call up a phone company and say, oh, I have a new phone now. Can you port that old number to this current phone number? Now, that's really sketchy to begin with, right? You mean the simplicity of how to do it? Yes, it's yeah. sketchy and it would suck if, you know, uh, you have your uh, girlfriend whispering sweet nothings to you and it's to some other guy, God forbid. Um, I wish my girlfriend would whisper sweet nothings, but that's another story. But anyway, that's bad. But it's particularly bad when because you have your phone number connected to your crypto wallet, if somebody gets a hold of your phone and your phone number, they are one step away from stealing your crypto coins. So an employee at AT AT&T was in part of this. It appears from the complaint, the, the lawsuit that Michael filed, and I've read it, it appears that some scumbag working at an AT&T store, I believe, went and probably figured out who Michael was and then um, worked with, colluded with some bad guys and said, I am going to transfer Michael's phone number to your guy's phone. You are then going to get this two-factor authentication message. This I'm speculating, but I believe Michael's phone was where the two-factor message was sent to in a text message. Now, that's I could be wrong because it wasn't clear in the complaint, but if it's whether it's right or wrong, I will say never, ever, ever. If you have a two-factor authentication, that means, guys, when you go to a site and it says, enter that special number from that Google Authenticator, and you open up the app and it gives you a six-digit number, that's the right way to do it. You open an app, whether it's Google or someone else, and they present to you a six-digit number. The wrong way to set up a two-factor authentication is to have it text message to you because Coinbase does all of them do. It's a terrible thing. Because if somebody gets your phone, then they can go and and they don't need your physical phone. They can have the phone number ported to their phone. Now when the two-factor message comes as a text message, it comes to the bad guy's phone. Well, same thing in email, too. If it sends you an email link and you click on that link to actually yeah. go through it. By the way, something else I would say to anybody using Gmail, just I won't go into it deeply here, but two-factor it, okay? Because all the bad guys go to the email first. That's where they see all these accounts you have. Oh, good. Now I need to get his phone. And on Gmail, I'm not going to explain how, but it's really simple. You can actually see when you're on it, when you're in your Gmail, who else, if anyone else, is there simultaneously. You can also look to see, did anyone else open, or where was the last time this app was opened? You can actually see it. Google will tell you. And you can see, oh, it was opened in whatever. It was opened in Toronto, but I haven't been in Toronto. Bad guys have hacked your Gmail. Can you please say bad people because women are bad people too? Can I'm you please make it more uniformly, please? All of your ex-girlfriends. Uh, what do you mean ex? <laughs> They're all still there. No. There you go. All right, William, you've done a good job today. Lots of great information. And uh, I would say I'm going to walk away from this show knowing more. But there are some things you don't know. Many. And you can hear the music in the background because it's time for us to do a game with William because his intellect might be far and vast, but he doesn't know everything. Of course not. 
And this is called the Market Game Show, the Market Cap Game Show. I got four out of five right last time. They were really easy last time. What did I miss? Tick, tick, toe? Yeah, or something like that. Foo, foo, fa. I forgot what it was. No, it was toe. I looked at that coin. <laughs> it's got a low market cap. This is different. Today's show, first, uh, right now, as we are doing the show, the market cap of Bitcoin is $112 billion. Okay, pretty okay, That's good. what's going right now, right? 6519 bucks per Bitcoin. But these are other coins, and you're going to tell me which one has a higher market cap. Now, this game I won't do well at. We're going to start easy. Okay. Okay, we're going to start easy, and how we're going to start is very easy, and let's just go with Bitcoin Cash okay. versus Ripple. Who has a higher market cap? Ripple. You're right. See, you're very good at this. That's 13. No, but that's a top. $13 billion compared, being Ripple, compared to $10 billion. They're very close, by the way. By the way, Roger Ver is very smart. He's the inventor of Bitcoin Cash. He's doing some very cool stuff. I think Bitcoin Cash is going to do very well. You're liking Bitcoin Cash. Okay, we'll pay attention to that. All right, so the next one. You're one for one right now. Woohoo! You're killing it. I should it. just stop. You should, but you won't. We're going to go after now is Steam. Steam, S-T-E-E-M. That's right. Versus Dogecoin. Mm -hmm. Those are, yeah, that's a tough one because those are pretty close. Dogecoin's got a higher market cap. Dogecoin does have a higher market cap. Really impressive, by the way. Uh, Jackson Palmer, the inventor of Dogecoin. $275 million. That's incredible versus $255 million. The coin prices are very different, by the way. Very surprising to see us. Where Steam is 93 cents, Dogecoin is under a cent. Right. And okay. that's just because there's a lot more Dogecoins. I get it, but it's very interesting. Okay, let's go a little deeper. We're gonna go to deeper. That was hard. That's that's max for me. I can't get. No, any. no, no, no. We got two more left. Okay, we're gonna go with Ucash. Ah, okay. Ucash. I had to dig deep for these. Versus Made Safe Coin. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, that's an easy one. Oh, really? Yeah. Made safe. So. Made safe is $114 million million. versus $23 million of Ucash. You're killing it, buddy. That's only because I've been tracking Made Safe oh, for really? about forever. You like Made Safe. Okay, last one since you're rocking and rolling three for three. Made Safe, by the way, Ken, can I give you a can I give you a twist? Uh, uh, what does Made Safe do? I don't know. Okay. So they're a they're a way of storing information on the blockchain. Well, it has nothing to do with cleaning my house. Uh, no, but you know what? Now that I think about it, that may be a vertical they can go it's into. Spade, it's uh, spelled By the way, way, given how long they've taken to develop it, your house would be very messy oh, if be, they okay. were doing it. So I'm just going to tell you quickly, this is a fun one. These two, just their symbols. The first one is THC, and the other one is like P-O-T. Marijuana? P-O-T. So the first one is hemp coin versus pot coin. All right, I'm just going to say pot coin because I have no idea. And pot seems like it'd be more like there is a heaven because you were wrong on this one, oh. but it's so narrow. Oh. Hemp coin THC is seven point seven million dollars versus seven point four. Why would I have that's not even I, fair. I'm just telling you, you're not always perfect. Oh. And I just showed the cracks in your your brilliance. People want to find William Quigley. You can find over at Opskins and Wax. You're speaking all over the planet. Any international speaking? Uh, you know, it'll be posted on Wax.io, but I'm, I'm not sure which is the next one. Can we announce any of the social cool stories that you got coming up, or is that not for a later yet. show? Not yet. Not later on. Later on, and we also are going to be talking about some new currencies that uh, you oh, are evolving. Not yet. Not yet. Another possibly. show. And uh, we've gotten emails regarding Megan. We'll pop her back on the show again. She was in episode 26. Oh, she's the uh, investor, the crypto investor. She was on last show. So again, uh, William Opskins, Ken over at uh, CoinDMZ or the Voice of Disruption. And thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Episode 27, find us over at hello at CoinDMZ.com. That's it. Thanks a lot for listening to Coin DMZ. DMZ.